basket. Coleman, here we go. Three. Got it! Oh, my goodness! Wow! The season hey, everybody. It's the podcast that's not for everyone, but it's for someone. Welcome to Sooner Nation, the online podcast for Heartland Sports, heartland-sports.com. He's Rich. I'm Matt. Oklahoma Sooners is the topic in basketball, I guess, is the first thing we're going to talk about. We got a lot. I mean, we're going to talk a lot like we normally do. We're going to talk some football. We're going. To, hey, I think there are some things that 24-7 sports got wrong when they ranked the Big 12 quarterbacks. So we're going to talk about that. A little bit of a recruiting update um, for football, basketball, softball, baseball. We got it all. But let's start with basketball. And Rich, I'm going to let you talk because – <laughs> I can be honest with you right, right now with basketball, I, I try not to be disappointed because I do think Long Kruger's done a good job this year. And again, this is a team that was, I, I said it early in the week. This is a team that was picked preseason to finish eighth in the big 12. And Tuesday night they were playing for, uh, for a third place spot. They're going to finish between fourth and fifth. So based on projections, it was better, but man, this is a frustrating team to watch. Here are my initial thoughts, and there are a handful of people, if not more, who will likely disagree with this comment, but I don't think Oklahoma hurt themselves with a loss. And here it comes from the now here let me let me finish my statement. No, no, please, please do. Because I don't believe Oklahoma hurt their chances of an NCAA tournament bid with a loss to Texas. When you and I sat down last week, Matt, the one thing that I explicitly said was that they could drop a game. They just couldn't drop a game to TCU. Now we're in a position where they've already dropped that one game that they were being afforded of the two. And now they must, they're, they're in a must win position. I think 19 wins ultimately gets Oklahoma in the tournament and you clearly disagree. So I'm going to let you have at it. No, cause I don't want to talk, man. I don't want to, cause, cause I look, can, it, well, can we talk about the game first off? Yes, let, please. Can, cause can the game just, is just as frustrating as this conversation. Can we having. talk about the game? I completely make the free agree. throws, man. Just I, make the free throws, play full court defense, make him run time off the clock. Why? Why do we not do that? Why do we – I say we like I was playing. How do you miss free throws? And, and it's our two stars, Brady Manick and Kristen Doolittle, on senior night against your rival. I understand. I get it. Pressure. I get it. Matt, but there's four opportunities, and you connect on no, three. There's, no, I mean, no, on I'm, one no, a, and leave three. That's why, this team, that's why this team is so frustrating to watch. Because you see them play like they did against Texas Tech. You see them go on the road and play like they did in Morgantown. In that game, I understand Texas had won four in a row coming in. I get that. That game should have been a win. It should have been. And not only should it have been a win, it should have been a layup. I mean, it should have been an easy win. But Brady Manick has I'm, – I'm holding more confidence in my hand right now than what Brady Manick has. Now, if you, you, no one can see my hand except for you, there's nothing in my hand. Brady Manick has zero confidence right now. Zero. And Christian Doolittle, I, I got nothing but heartbreak for that guy. Because, I mean, look, that was a full game worth of bad shooting. A full game worth of getting out rebounded. A full game worth of turnovers. But Christian Doolittle carried the weight of that loss in the locker room on his shoulders. Over the missed free throws. 
If he makes one of them, the best Texas can do is tie on that desperation shot. If he makes both of them, game's over. So all that all that weight is on Kristen Doolittle's shoulders. Help me understand why the possession before they didn't cover the full court. Why did they not make Texas work to get the ball down the floor? I have no answers for you. Because what you're seeing is the same thing that I'm seeing when it comes to this game specifically. We knew the implications that were on the line. We knew the, not NCAA, but Big 12 tournament seeding that was on the line. Potentially NCAA implications as well. And to go out, number one, I I didn't expect it to be a game that barely got over the 50-point mark. Not in a million years would I have said that would have been the case. Especially the way Oklahoma had played the past week. In general, preparing for this, the confidence that should have been there evaporated, and Oklahoma found themselves trailing going into the break, finally took the lead late, and then gave the game away based upon, as you've mentioned, the free throws, maybe some lapse in judgment as a coach and not pressuring the ball not pressuring an inbounds pass, not doing what you would typically do in order to slow down the advancement of the basketball. But there's there's not a silver lining. I, I don't have one. I, I want there to be. There's not a silver lining in this game for me. No, there's not. And, and again, it's this is a team right now, 18 and 12 on the season, 8 and 9 in conference play. You say that it doesn't hurt them as far as the NCAA tournament And I still hold true to that. And I I can't get on board with that because they've lost four of the last six games. Okay, Baylor, Kansas. Oklahoma State, and now Texas. Right, and I see where you're coming with the orange. It doesn't matter. It's it's four out of six. And you, you you absolutely have to win at TCU. On Saturday, you absolutely no. I agree, and, and Matt, I said and that's that before. Where, before the West Virginia game, right? And but it's 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 because of what happened in Bedlam, and and you can't. Here's the thing, Rich. You can't keep saying losses don't hurt you when you've lost four out of the last six. You can't keep saying losses don't hurt you when you lose games that you should win. And it doesn't matter to me when you, when you lose a game that you should win, it takes away from winning the game you should have lost. Then they should they shouldn't have beat Texas Tech, but they did. They shouldn't have beat West Virginia, but they did. But then those games, those games are washed when you lose Bedlam and then you lose against Texas on your home floor. The argument though, it, it hinges upon a specific number of wins for you as well as myself. And we're approaching this argument, you from a 20 win standpoint, me from a 19 win standpoint. Okay, let, let me ask you this. Who would you rather face? <laughs> no, we're going we're to get to that. No, look, oh, eight and nine in conference. I do believe you have to be at least 500 in conference. Okay. That's, that's very likely. Or, or make a run in the, in the Big 12 tournament. So they have to win. Okay, at, the first one's pretty likely. They have to win at TCU. That puts them at 19 wins on the season, 500 in conference. 
you're in the conversation. But here's the thing. Going into the weekend, now I, I didn't see the update before the West Virginia game. But going into the weekend, they were the last four in on Lenardi's bracket. Texas was the last four out. Okay? Now you've got two teams. Wait, wait, wait. You, wait, wait, you said in? this was before West, the West Virginia game? Mm-hmm. Okay. Now you've got two teams, Oklahoma and Texas. Texas 19-11 on the season. Oklahoma 18-12. and 12. Texas 9 and 8 in conference. Worst they're going to do is 500. Oklahoma 8 and 9 in conference. Best they can do is 500. If Texas was the last one of the last four out and Oklahoma was one of the last four in, now those have swapped. No there's there's no way they have <laughs> They have No, I don't I, you can't say that. I can't. Texas I has did. the better resume now. That that may very well be true. But here's what, what you're not counting at this point in time. You're looking at it and saying Texas is, is one of the last four in that Oklahoma – or excuse me, last four out that Oklahoma was one of the last four in. You still haven't counted the West Virginia game. When we look at that West Virginia game, that pushed Oklahoma into the, the top 40 here, Matt, which by the way meant that they were no longer a member of the last four in – all Texas did was ensured themselves that they are not a member of the last four out, but now they're a member of the last four in. The Big 12, as if, if the season ends right now and all the tournaments are have concluded, the conference tournaments, the Big 12 would have six teams in the NCAA tournament. And one of those would be Oklahoma, and another one of those would be Texas. Well, I definitely think Texas has worked their way in. I, I, look, I'm, I'm worried. I'm worried because of how Oklahoma's played on the road. Now, granted, they they did go to Morgantown, and they beat a good West Virginia team. Only the second team this season to beat the Mountaineers in Morgantown. But does that take away the worry that I had previously? Because prior to West Virginia, they'd only won in Austin, and they'd only won in Denton, Texas. So can they go win in Fort Worth against a TCU team? That's not great. But they are scrappy, and it doesn't matter how bad or how good the team you're playing is if you can't hit a basket, if you're shooting 25% from the floor. All that, all I'm saying is this. There's lots of concern. There's lots of worry. And that, that concern and that worry would not be there right now had you won Bedlam in Stillwater and had you beaten Texas the other night. That's all I'm saying. And I agree with you in that statement. I don't think it's a question. You win those two games. I don't think it's a question that Oklahoma is in the big dance. No, I I agree. Let me tell you, though, in the aftermath of this contest, following the three-point shot from Coleman, that, by the way, is an eight-inch miss that hits the bottom of the net because there's a backboard there. Doesn't matter. It doesn't. You're right. I'm just saying no one aims for the backboard, especially in that moment. I count it as an eight-inch miss that counts for three points. That's my statement. I'm sticking to it. Went but since the hoop, popped the net. Since game over. <laughs> since that moment, Matt, I have seen social media, and I have seen Texas fans say that there's a picture of Austin Reeves on his back. I believe it's Coleman who is wrestling for the ball with Austin Reeves, but it literally looks like 
Coleman's hands. And I don't know that this is Coleman. I would have to go back and look at that image again. It looks like someone's hands are fairly close to Austin Reeves' neck. To which the comment on there says this. It says, it almost looks like Austin Reeves is being choked, but they choke enough on their own. Insinuating that Oklahoma choked in that game. And here, I'm going to tell you why I love the, this comment. is because one, I've got two points for this. One, it tells me that Texas fans believe Oklahoma is the better team. When you say a team choked, you say that you believe the other team was better. And two, the second thing that it tells me here is is it gives no credit to Texas for the win. Look, I, I look, I I got no comment on that because here here's what it is. It's Oklahoma. Did they choke? Yeah, they they missed three out of four field goals in the final minute of free the game. Throws. That's free right, throws. free throws. They missed three out of four free throws. Yeah, not four out of three. We're good. We're straight. Whatever. Because um, I'm <laughs> look, I, I'm sorry. And then they, I, I still I still can't figure out the whole defensive strategy on the final two Texas possessions. It was almost like, hey, let's just see if they can beat us. We're not going to give up anything easy, which, by mm-hmm. the way, they did. On the on the, I mean, just a driving bounce. No, mm-hmm. you know, just a driving layup. Yeah, right there. The the next to last possession before the before the whole Coleman right. shot, there was the, the the layup. And I even tweeted, I was like, look, should we should Oklahoma foul here? I, I again, you'll never know, but I'm thinking you're up three, foul, put them on the line. And see what happens. Now, Joey Helmer disagreed with me, and that's okay. I respect the crud out of Joey Helmer, but what they did didn't work. <laughs> I mean, I feel like fouling is better than playing no defense. And I'd look again, I Lon Kruger has done a good job. I think the worst case scenario for Oklahoma, Texas nine and eight, Texas Tech nine and nine, Oklahoma eight and nine, West Virginia eight and nine. There could be a chaos scenario where texas texas tech oklahoma and west virginia all finish nine and nine in that situation oklahoma would have the tiebreaker over west virginia because of the of the two game sweep so they could finish anywhere between fourth and fifth in my opinion in the big 12 with a win saturday at tcu so it's been a good season based on what the expectations were it's just you see this team and you see how they are jekyll and hyde and you know it could have been better. That's that's all my frustration is. Is is just knowing this team could be better. So that's that's where I am now. I, I don't know. I I think Oklahoma. I've always I've stuck to, to twenty wins. You know, it, the, the, if they could find a way to be the fourth seed still, I still think that's that's a lock. If you get top four, I said this on my on my podcast earlier in the week. If you get a, if you get top four, I think you're a lock to get in the NCAA tournament. So yes. To your point, I think you get in with 19 wins if you're the number four seed. If you're the number five seed, I I think you got to win in Kansas City to be comfortable. You got to win at least one game in Kansas City at the five seed. Nope. And that's fine. <laughs> We're just going to agree to disagree. But he, and and again, I don't. I, I'm not. I'm not saying this is me. Okay. But you've got that portion of the fan base who says when you have a young team, is it better to go? to the NIT and make a run with multiple games, maybe even get another home game or go to the NCAA tournament and be one and done. 
I, I always feel like, give me the tournament. Give me a pathway to a championship. Even though realistically, I know the team has no chance for a championship. Give me a pathway. Mm-hmm. But there is merit with a young team about making a run, postseason run in the NIT. I, again, I'm not saying that's me. I want the NCAA tournament, even if I'm one and done. What do you think on that? No, I completely agree. I, I don't know. There's, I can't discredit an argument for the NIT, but what I can tell you is an experience, a taste of an NCAA tournament breeds this desire to return to that moment. I feel as though you are in the NIT. It's, it's really considered a consolation. It's considered an alternative. You know, as you've just mentioned, there is no pathway to the championship game. And we see every single year a Cinderella team has emerged from a group that will be in a similar seating to where Oklahoma is. Mm. Is Oklahoma a team that we think can make a Cinderella run? I don't believe that's capable I don't believe that's a possibility for this specific team. I don't believe it's a possibility when we really consider these Power 5 programs. It comes from the the lower tiers more often than not. But what I'm looking at is you get the experience, you get the taste of what's potentially to come, and then you work hard to get back there. Yeah. And you use that as your, your driving force. Hey, one more thing I want to say about this. Um... Shaka Smart, I I said this dude was dead in the water about two weeks ago. And I agreed. And I now I am totally on the other side of that, going, what a job he's done, especially when you consider the injuries. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't like to make a habit of giving Texas any credit for anything, but they, they play at home against Oklahoma State on Saturday. So you got to think, coming in with five, five consecutive wins, that that's going to be a, a win for Texas. So he's looking at 20-11 on the regular season. It's a good, it's a good job for Shaka Smart, and and I know you were much higher on him than I was coming into the season. As a as a higher, oh, you mean? Yeah, I sorry, mean, coming, I should have yeah. let you finish. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, uh, we, we got to change top topics. Okay, so uh, let's switch gears to football. Everyone loves to talk football, including you and I. Um, a couple weeks ago, twenty four seven Sports released their they ranked the top ten quarterbacks, starting quarterbacks in the Big Twelve. Now. Granted, I think there are some assumptions being made here because there are some quarterback battles that have not yet been resolved that 24-7 is saying, here, here's who's going to win that battle. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go from 10 to 1. Are, do you want to guess? You're, I'm going to give you – I know you're not going to guess number 10. Number 10, okay. number 10 is Miles Kindred. Um, I, I I know number one because we've previously discussed this. Okay, so but I, I couldn't tell you the rest of the okay, list. So let's let's play a little game, shall we? All right. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and tell you the ones I, I'm pretty sure you're not gonna guess because okay. you wouldn't have guessed Miles Kendrick, would you? No. Miles Kendrick at Kansas is number ten. Uh, number nine, probably not gonna guess. I'm gonna give it to you. Uh, Jared Dagey from West Virginia, meaning they don't think Austin Kendall is gonna be the starting quarterback, and I don't think he is either. Uh, so we get to number eight. Who would you guess number eight to be? This is a guy that would probably be on your radar, but uh, I think it's a huge mistake. But I'm really yeah, I'm gonna say I, I think number eight is wow. a big mistake. I, I'm kind of surprised because I was leaning towards TCU. Yeah, it's not TCU, so I'm gonna strike that out. Okay, uh, you're gonna put Spencer Rattler down there. Not right? Spencer Rattler. Gonna strike that one out. <laughs> I got, got no one clue. more. Okay, so they have Alan Bowman 
from Texas, Texas Tech, Tech at number eight. Now, yeah, I get it. The okay. guy, I get it. He's been injured. Okay, and, right. And, and I would I would think he'd be top three. I would put him in top Easy. five. I don't think he, I don't think I'd put him at top three, but I think I'd put him in a top five. But I, I get what they're saying. He's suffered injuries the last two seasons. Season it's been cut short. But this is a talented quarterback. This mm-hmm. guy can sling the ball. Uh, injuries are the only thing that's holding him back. Um, I, I disagree. I think he's he's better than number eight. Number seven, I think I agree with. You want to guess number seven? He's a guy that'd be on the radar. A returning starter. Oh, man. So let, let me just give you the, the returning starters that, that well, I can recall. Just guess one here. Uh, yeah, think of all your returning starters and guess one here. Um, and I can't, I can't think of his name. Okay, tell me what school he plays for. That's my problem. Kansas State? Yeah, you're right. Skyler uh, Howard from uh, – uh, sorry, Skyler Thompson from Kansas State. A dude that – I feel like he's been at Kansas State for like 10 years now. Mm-hmm. He's one of those players. <laughs> um, but I think they got him pegged right around – uh, right around where he needs to be. Maybe maybe he could be one spot higher, but he's in the ballpark. Number six, they have Max Dugan from TCU. Uh, and then you get into the top five. And again, I disagree, and I think you're going to disagree with me at number five. Is it Spencer Rattler? No. Is he even on the list? I'm not going to tell you. Okay. No, number well, five, I'm going to tell you. Number you... five, I think, and I, I, if you're saying you disagree with it, mm-hmm. I'm leaning towards Brock Purdy. No, it's Charlie Brewer from Baylor. I, and again, I think it, he's a he's a, mm-hmm. a tough kid. I mean, I, I think he's a a good quarterback right. that has great leadership potential. Um, he has had concussion issues, and I'm surprised he's still able to play football. But this kid is a much much better than the Especially number. Especially after what we saw last season, right? Much much better than and, the than the we, number five spot that they have. Right, and we had mentioned some of the coaching decisions that Baylor had made at the expense of winning a game mm-hmm. in in exchange for the health of specifically Charlie Brewer. Right, 100%. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, 100%. We're on the same page there. But I think he's better than number five in the Big right, 12. Right, and that's that's what uh, I'm alluding to as you look at their record from last mm-hmm. season. And he wasn't he didn't play every game healthy. No, right. And and 100% would have been where they were without him though. Okay, number 4. <laughs> Spencer Rattler. Spencer Rattler, <laughs> not number four. And here's the thing. I have a lot of confidence in Spencer Rattler. I'm excited for the Spencer Rattler error. Not error, but era to, to begin. But I question I question putting him ahead of a guy like Charlie Brewer, who is proven mm-hmm. in the Big 12. I would not have any problems at all if I read this list. And Charlie Brewer was number four, or number three, and Spencer Rattler was number five. And I know there's there's Joe from Anadarko out there going, well, he's an OU quarterback, and you look at what OU quarterbacks do. They win Heisman trophies and go to New York City. I get that, and I'm I'm fully on board with that. But can we let the kid play a full game? Can we let him make a start before we start arguing that he's a top four quarterback in the Big 12? I think by the – I think this list will be totally upside down in a lot of ways by by December, but at least starting out, I I think if I'm Baylor, I'm Charlie Brewer, I'm going really. You got a guy who's not even started a game ahead of me. You feeling me? Yeah, I'm on board with that. I'm gonna I'm gonna guess number three for you if you're moving that. Yeah, direction. let's do it. Because I believe it's Spencer Sanders from Oklahoma State. Spencer Sanders from Oklahoma State. Another Again. guy, by the way, who had who was injury prone. Yeah, and I wouldn't put him ahead of Brock Purdy. 
Right. Oh wait, sorry. He he's not ahead of Brock Purdy. I, I wouldn't put no, him ahead of Charlie. <laughs> I wouldn't put him ahead of Charlie Brewer. I I wouldn't. I would take if, if I'm drafting Big Twelve quarterbacks, mm-hmm. and it comes with Spencer Sanders or Charlie Brewer, taking Charlie Brewer. I would, and I would I would have to debate to take him over Bowman. I think with Sanders you get caught up, and a lot of the excitement because of his athleticism, a naturally gifted athlete who has the ability to throw the ball, mm-hmm. but you combine it with the fact of what they had last year, a fifth-year senior mm-hmm. who I believe was a walk-on. A, was he a transfer yeah, walk-on? Yeah, 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 Cornelius. Who ended up... Hey, he's, or, he's playing in the XFL now. Who ended up with that starting job, and now you've got a kid that's as talented as Spencer Sanders. I get the comparison when you compare Cornelius to... Is that his first name? Because I feel like... Yeah, it, Taylor Cornelius. Taylor, okay, so second yeah. name. Um, Cornelius to Sanders, I, I get the discrepancy there. I get the gap that exists between those two, which is the reason for that excitement and the reason mm-hmm. I believe he's at number three. Number two, then, is, is Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy, and to me, best quarterback in the Big 12 starting the season. I'm I, just saying. I, don't, I can't disagree with you. Which means it leaves us with Sam Ellinger at number one. Which, which is the only reason he – if you put Sam Ellinger in any uniform other than Texas or Oklahoma, let him have the same stats. Let him have the same record. But you change his uniform to Iowa State, Baylor, Texas Tech, TCU, Kansas mm-hmm. State. Is he number one? No. And I'm not going to take any swipes at Texas or Sam Ellinger because the tenacity of that kid is off the charts. You talk about someone leadership skill wise, who is going to be the first one to take a hit before anybody else on the team. I believe that Sam Ellinger, and I believe he's a rallying point, regardless of what uniform he would put on. He would have been a rallying point for any team in the country. Sam Ellinger. Yes, I agree because he does wear the burnt orange falls to number one or should I say, is lifted to number one in this scenario. But I, I, I struggle to warrant it. I look at the Big 12 championship game and I see minor mistakes that were extremely costly. How, mm-hmm. I mean, everybody wants to talk about the blitz. Everybody wants to talk about this, the sack in the end zone. How do you take a hit on your right side when you're right-handed. Mm-hmm. It, it, there's just there's a handful of things that that don't add up when I'm looking for a quarterback and it's those those minor lapses that occur far too often, which is why I, I would put Sam Ellinger in the top three. I just wouldn't put him number one. I would put him I would I don't have a problem with him being number two. Mm-hmm. And and the reason why he's number one is because he is the most experienced quarterback in the Big Twelve. He's going to go into the 2020 season as a four-year starter. And, and I get that. But He's the only one with that honor. Exactly. He's And the thing is, is you you talked about um, the Blitz. Mm-hmm. Trey Brown. In, in, was it Trey Brown in the Big 12 championship game uh, with, with the cornerback Blitz right at his face? But he also did that against Oklahoma last season in the regular Red, Red River Showdown. If you bring the blitz right at him, he freezes. And he does not have great field awareness. And he's not the best passer in the Big 12. Now, I'll, I'm, I think he's improved. He's improved, but 
you look, you you got it, it's fourth and nine, okay? Mm-hmm. Fourth and I'm nine. I'm taking Purdy. I know where you're going. Well, I'm I'm going to give you any quarterback in the mm-hmm. Big Twelve. I'm taking Brock Purdy. Yes, exactly. So the point is, I'm, I'm going to put passing aside because he hasn't proved there. But the fact that he's a four-year starter, and last year he's a three-year starter, and he still freezes in the face of a blitz and doesn't know what to do, to me, his experience makes that more egregious. But because they won the Alamo Bowl, he's number one. Because he's a four-year starter, he's number one. Because he's from Texas, he's number one. Again, I'm not... Keep in mind, I'm not pining to put an Oklahoma quarterback ahead of him. I've already said, I think Spencer Rattler, around five. He's unproven. Mm-hmm. Now, I think there's a really good chance by the end of the season, he's way better than five. But right now, until he starts a game, wins a game, let's not put him in the same category as a Brock Purdy or a Sam Ellinger. But you, you're telling me 24-7, the guys who put this together, fourth and nine, Games on the line, you have to complete a pass. Not run, you have to complete a pass. You're really telling me you're going to take Sam Ellinger over Brock Purdy? I'm not. I'm, there's no chance I'm taking that. I, I'm, I'm not taking Sam Ellinger over Charlie Brewer in that situation. But because he's a four-year starter. So here, here's how I would rank them, and you just tell me if you agree or okay. disagree. Okay, I'm just going to give you top we're, five. Yeah, as I said, we're really concerned just top five. Well, top four. I'm going to say Spencer Rattler, number four. I mean, number five. Okay. Okay, so I'm going to give you I – I, here's how I, I would put these. I, I've already said I think Brock Purdy, starting the season, best quarterback in the Big 12. I, I don't have a problem with Ellinger being number two. And then I would put um, – Charlie Brewer. Brewer at number three. And then to me, honestly, it's a toss-up. You can put Bowman – or Spencer Sanders at number four. And I'd be okay with either one of them. But I do think there's more upside with Spencer Sanders because of the physical athletic ability that he has. So we'll go with Sanders four and then Rattler five. That's how and I would so put it. So Bowman drops out of the top five? Well, I, I, yeah, I, I think five based on injury. I don't think he deserves to be number nine. But six is okay. <laughs> I, I mean, he look. He Spencer Spencer Rattler's not experienced at all. Right. Bowman's not it, very experienced. Hasn't technically even won the starting job. Yeah, he has. Yet. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're gonna I, we do have one more football update with recruiting. We're going to talk about here in just a minute. But let's talk a little bit about softball and baseball. Baseball tearing it up right now. Three of their last four wins have been over ranked teams. They, they gave Arkansas their first loss of the season at the Shriners Hospital College Classic last weekend. Everyone talks about the shutout, the, the, the no-hitter on Sunday against LSU. They come back and they beat Dallas Baptist on Tuesday night and then just obliterate Arkansas Pine Bluff. And again, that could have been much, much worse. On, on Wednesday night, I, I don't, you asked me uh, after the, I think after the DBU game, by the way, 10 to three against a ranked opponent on Tuesday night against DBU, you asked me, you're like, hey, is this team for real? Mm-hmm. I think they are, Rich. I, I think I'm, I'm willing to say early in the season, granted conference play hasn't started yet, 
But I think this is the best baseball team we've seen in Norman since their last World Series appearance. That's a big statement to say. But if you look at what Skip Johnson's doing, he's got sh- strong pitching. I mean, the kid that threw, I can't think of his name right now off the top of my head, but the kid that threw Wednesday night only threw four innings, struck out nine batters, allowed no hits in four innings. And Wednesday was the, Wednesday the Big 12 record. Right. 21 strikeouts in a single exactly. game. Exactly. Yeah. But that was a combined effort. But you get, right, but right. You get nine you get nine from your starter in four innings. Now, granted, it's Arkansas Pine Bluff, which is probably one of the worst, if not the worst, team they've faced all season long. But still, if it's a Big 12 record, I mean, everybody plays an Arkansas Pine Bluff type team in conference, you know, in the Big 12 conference. But he's got strong pitching. Dane Aker with the with the no hitter. And these guys, I mean, they can slug the ball, man. That's the part that surprised me. That that's the part that really caught me off guard. Matt, if you remember the last time we sat down, I said this was the first time in quite some time we're we're dating back before the Pete Hughes era mm-hmm. that Oklahoma had a strong one, two, three pitching option for a weekend series against any of these opponents that they'll face throughout the season. Mm-hmm. We saw that finally come together, and we saw it begin to produce those wins. And I was really led to believe it was the, as I said, the pitching more than it was anything else because you go out to Pensacola, Florida, you face Virginia. Everyone's trying to get their feet under them, figure out what their strengths are, how people perform in live instances. And so I've not disregarded those, but I've given them less credit less value Mm -hmm. than some of the other games they've played then they step here into norman and and they play texas southern and illinois state not two extremely powerful teams to say the least and and we see these scores against texas southern skyrocket and all of a sudden plummet against illinois state you've got two runs scored four runs scored three runs scored and and then five runs scored that trend kind of continued there a little bit of a ballooning effort against Arkansas and then against LSU it was it was the one mm-hmm. i'm looking at those and i'm saying i'm not counting missouri here that's for a different conversation but i'm looking at it and saying okay it's it's really the pitching that's carrying this team and they're the ones that are shouldering the burden of making sure that this team is in a position to win and all of a sudden oklahoma <laughs> continues this this play in Norman, but they're eclipsing the double digit mark again in runs. I thought it was an anomaly at the beginning of the season. We're seeing it here again. And I really believe we have to credit some of these younger players with finally finding their footing, but we also have to credit it to where each player fits in the lineup. And that now being more concrete than it was before. Skip Johnson has a good thing going on here for sure. And if he continues this trend, Oklahoma is going to be a difficult team to face down the road. Well, they're a difficult team to face right, right. now. And, and let me tell you about a player that I, I went uh, Wednesday night. I was kind of torn uh, between softball and baseball. So I went to baseball for a little bit, and then I went to softball. Um, because of this one player that I, I wanted to see in person, Kendall Pettis. Now, I've already said one kind of – 
out there statement that I believe in and that this is the best baseball team we've seen since Oklahoma's last World Series appearance. Kendall Pettis is the fastest baseball player we've seen since one Kyler Murray ran the base pass for the Sooners. I watched this kid, his first at bat on Wednesday night, at best, for your average player, at best, a double. This kid is at a triple on a ball that was hit to center field. Now, if you know baseball, hit the ball to right field, you can get a triple pretty easy. Mm-hmm. Left field is almost impossible. Center field is really, really difficult. You're taking a calculated risk at that point. But it wasn't even close, Rich. When the ball came in, he was standing firmly on the back. This dude has some wheels. Now, he's only a freshman, which is the good news, because if you go to if you go to a Division I college, you've got to be there for three years. So he's only going to get better. But this dude, I'm telling you, he's a freshman. He's an outfielder from Chicago, Illinois. I'd heard about him. I'd, I'd seen games uh, on TV. I'd listened on the radio. That was my first chance to actually see them in person on Wednesday night. And dude is every bit the part of what you think he's going to be when you hear the hype around him. He's already on major league draft radars as a freshman. And so he's going to be that guy. You, you remember going when Kyler Murray was playing and, and you sit up in the press box and you see all the scouts right below you. Give us some time and he's going to be that guy that all the scouts show up to see. I mean, they, he's good. I'll buy what you're selling. And and, there, and it's not like he's the only guy. I mean, there, there's pitchers that, that are – this is the strongest pitching staff. Mm-hmm. And, when, and the, one of the reasons why I say that it's the best team we've seen since the World Series because it's the strongest pitching staff I think we've seen. You've already talked to that point, and you've already talked to the point that these guys can hit the ball, and they can't. They're really good. Flip over to that short walk. took me seven minutes Wednesday night. <laughs> Flip over to that short walk from the baseball park to the softball field. Still a good team from Oklahoma. But this is a different team than what we've seen in the past with with Patty Gasso. I do agree with your statement. And it's not to say that that same dynamic doesn't exist. Because we do have the Jocelyn Allos. We we do have the Grace Greens. However, what we're seeing are people attack them as batters in a drastically different fashion than what we saw people attack Lauren Chamberlain with mm-hmm. or any anyone who really came from that that era and played around Lauren Chamberlain, the home run queen of softball. Now all of a sudden you recognize just how costly home runs can be. And like I said, so I've seen it, you've seen it. It doesn't matter where we are in the game you're often pitching around these types of hitters unless no one is on base. Because you'll give up one. You don't want to give up three, four, however many might be on, however many runners are on base at that point in time. I don't know that that's the reason that this team is different. I really credit it to the fact that Oklahoma for a long time has had left-handed pitchers who were absolutely dominant. Now you have a injured, so we're led to believe, injured Giselle Juarez, who has seen very limited action. Well, we're not led to believe that. It's true. I mean, I, I've been there. I've seen her. She's she's not right physically. We're very limited action from her. And she was the ace. She's the two-time All-American, the anchor of this pitching staff, and she's not available. 
which all of a sudden goes to Oklahoma relying on their other senior, Shannon Sale. And for everything that Shannon Sale is, she just doesn't have that solidified number two. Now, you thought it was Reigns for a while, but Oklahoma, in my opinion, does not have a solidified number two at this point. And the biggest difference, I'm saying all that to get to this point, the biggest difference is no Coach Lombardi. Oh, I don't think I can get on with that. Um, I will tell you that I do think, and I was watching Olivia Reigns over the weekend. I think it was against North Texas on Saturday. She's got a ton of talent. And I do think she is the next really, really good pitcher at the University of Oklahoma. But the thing is, she's a freshman. and she That doesn't matter these days. It does. In her case, it does. She she is uh, she's either on or she's off. Now, here's the thing with Shannon Sale. Shannon Sale is either on or she's somewhere in between. So there's a difference between being on and somewhere in between and being on or being off. And here's the, here's the thing. Wednesday night, Olivia Reigns gets the start against Wichita State. And Wichita State bombs her for four runs in the first inning. She doesn't even get an out before the Shockers have four runs on the board. Then they bring in Shannon Sell, who kind of rides the ship. Oklahoma goes on to win that game eight to five, but it's because of the and, and Shannon Sale did not have her best stuff. She would be the first one to tell you that she didn't have her best stuff. But this team is different because of pitching, and I don't think it is as much to do with Lombardi being gone as it is that they don't have G. Juarez, which you already mentioned. They're relying extremely heavily on Shannon Sale. And then everybody behind Shannon Sale is a baby. I mean, they're young. They're all (laughs) freshmen making their collegiate debuts. And so there's not the depth there. Oklahoma is dangerous offensively. I think they're more dangerous. One through five in their lineup, I think they're more dangerous than they were a year ago. I know you didn't get to see softball Wednesday night, but did you by chance see Jocelyn Allo's home run? Yeah, I went through social media when the program published a all-in-one highlight reel. So I did mm-hmm. get to see whether that was for the opposing team or whether that was for Oklahoma. Right. You got to see the Wichita State highlights as well as the Oklahoma highlights, which I was very appreciative of because I felt like I watched the whole game. Because I saw all the scoring. Right. Well, it was it was a fun game, but all those home run. Chris Plank told me that they measured her home run out at 295 feet. Think about that. A softball, 295 feet. That would clear some baseball parks. That ball was crushed. You're talking about pitching around people. There's it's hard to pitch around. One through five. And Lindsey Elam is benefiting from that. She leads the team in home runs. She's crushing it. She crushed one Wednesday night as well. And all they hit three home runs against Wichita State. So this is a team that what we've not seen in the past few years, we've not seen a team rely more on hitting than they've relied on pitching. But that's where they are right now. They're gonna they're gonna have to crank out games like they're doing right now, 8-5 to five against Wichita State, until they can get Giselle Juarez back. But here's the thing. Here's the good news if you're an Oklahoma softball fan. Once you get Giselle Juarez back, this team becomes extremely dangerous because then you have that two-time All-American. You have that ace 
and then you can bring Shannon Sell in as the closer. And when she's and like she's a great pitcher. I mean, I don't want to take away from Shannon Sell. She's a great pitcher, but her role as the closer, that's her niche. That's mm-hmm. where she excels. And if you if you're able to start G and kind of get a team on the ropes and then bring Sell in for the knockout, that's where this team is. And right. so the, the goal and- is the goal is to get him there by May. I, and, and so you've got time. I believed that's where Gasso was heading with him when Shannon Sale transferred to the University mm-hmm. of Oklahoma, and then Juarez transferred to Oklahoma with the pages, Paige Parker and Paige Lowry graduating out. Right. You saw that shift, and you believed it was really a new duo picking up where the previous one had left off because Sale had that speed, and because Juarez had such command of all the pitches in her arsenal. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And and here's the thing. I, the final thing I'm going to say about softball, unless you got more to add to the conversation. Oklahoma 16 and four on the season. And we're talking about, man, this team's not as good as they have been <laughs> at 16 and four. And number six in the nation. Right. That just lets you know that the the level of of what Oklahoma softball has been. Now I, I do, and this isn't original to me. Okay. This is from social media. And it is, again, from our man, Chris Plank, Oklahoma started the season in 2016 and 2017. They started the season 16 and four through their first 20 games. You know what else happened in 2016? They won the national championship back to back years. So not saying that's going to happen. I'm not making a prediction, but what I am saying is things are Okay. Don't don't hit that panic button just mm-hmm. yet. There's there are some and, and I'm gonna just side note here. There are some really talented teams that Oklahoma has struggled with in the women's college world series, who many people expect to be right back there. Mm-hmm. Washington being one of those. UCLA Garcia is sitting out this year. She's not playing softball. They don't have her available because she decided to play on the US national team the usa national team the olympics are coming up they're reintroducing softball i can't blame her i can't say that i wouldn't go to the olympics over a senior season at the collegiate level needless to say it's not going to be the same ucla pitcher hitter from garcia that we've seen in the past but washington has really been that hurdle on the national scale for oklahoma and by all means you know they've got one of the best pitchers in the country who's only a sophomore who is really going to help anchor that team and potentially put them back in the women's college world series and potentially put them in a championship series. Yeah. And the other thing I could think about with Garcia is how terrible would it be to miss that season to play in the Olympics and then have the Olympics canceled because of the coronavirus. Wow. I'm just saying, cause that's a legitimate possibility. Let's talk some Oklahoma football recruiting. Okay, let's talk some Oklahoma football recruiting for just a minute, and then we'll close out with some some Thunder talk uh, because I gotta get I gotta get your take uh, on the Thunder. Um, but um, two things I, w- I want to point out with, with recruiting because the Sooners are making a ton of offers. I mean, a ton of offers. Oklahoma gets some really good news with uh, Caleb Williams setting a visit date. <laughs> Um, and I want to come back to that rich because he's, he's most kids come in for a day and then they're gone. He's coming in for three days. So I want to, I haven't had a chance to talk to you about that, uh, since that, that news broke. So I want to come back to that, but I'm going to mess this name up. I'm just, you know, me with names. You want me to help you? 
Oklahoma offers defensive tackle uh, TJ Tuamalu. JT. That's JT Tuamalu. Sorry. Uh, JT. I was so worried about that. Couldn't even get the first name. <laughs> I was so worried about messing up the last name. Um, here's oh here's why this is important. Uh, he is the number, number one, one player mm-hmm. in the 2021 class. And so not only is Oklahoma – I mean, they're 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 more than just in on the number one quarterback in the 2021 class because they're also in on the number one running back, right? And now and now you're you're offering the top player overall, not just the top defensive player, mm-hmm. but the top player overall in this class. Ton of offers going out. I love I love what they're doing on the defensive side of the ball. I love that they're going after taller, more physical, but yet still speedy cornerbacks i love it that they're focusing on disruptive but yet quick defensive tackles and this this kid i'm not going to try to say his name we're just going to call him jt all right i'm not i'm not going to try that name again but he's so athletic um that he could be a division one basketball player and legitimately a a top talent in basketball if he wanted to so there's a lot there he's 6'4 277 freakishly athletic there's tape out there of him if you want to go see it um i want to come back to kendall williams because i mean Kendall williams because i haven't had a chance to talk to you about him since he landed uh since he made his announcement it's an unofficial visit but it's it's a multiple day visit again from what i understand it's coming down between lsu and oklahoma now Maryland thinks that they have a they have a shot at him, and what I said by myself on on the podcast was that Maryland has a shot at him just because of the hometown feel. But really, it's between LSU and Oklahoma, and the fact that he's planning multiple days, he may end up doing it with LSU. But man, I like I don't care who's recruiting from LSU. You give Lincoln Riley three days with a quarterback, I like those odds. Oklahoma has. I don't know if you caught this, but they started a campaign, not widely publicized, wasn't specifically targeted, but was specifically targeted. There were no labels attached to it. Let's put it that way. Oklahoma started a campaign specifically for Caleb Williams, which featured Baker Mayfield, followed by Kyler Murray hoisting Mm -hmm. the Heisman Trophy. Wasn't just that, but it showed little snippets of their careers and really what was capable, and to boot, you look at how many years he got with Kyler Murray. Oh, yeah. You look at the development of the players that have sat under Lincoln Riley as a quarterback. How can you not want to be a part of that? So not only did we have the campaign that was kicked off in preparation or in anticipation of Caleb Williams, visiting the University of Oklahoma, but he's even gone on record. I don't know if you've seen this, if you've read this, Matt. He spoke of, uh, he's been on campus twice. He sat with Lincoln Riley during one of those visits in what was supposed to be a 20-minute conversation turned into an extensive Mm -hmm. conversation. I don't think that happens unless you have this natural chemistry and this personality that, can I use an old term and say jives with one another? I don't see that in terms of Caleb Williams and LSU. I don't see that being a prominent factor in the decision. However, I will tell you LSU does have a quarterback who I I believe 
if he's not committed already, he will commit. And that may force the hand of LSU in saying, we've got our guy. And the only real viable option, you still want a guy like Caleb Williams regardless. But the only real viable option that's available still without a commitment would be Oklahoma at that point in time. I don't know that that means a pile of beans, but I'm throwing it out there. Well, and again, I I go back to I love the fact that Lincoln Riley has three days. You know, I, I, I love that. And this is going to be during spring ball. So he gets to go to practices and kind of observe some of that, see kind of the team meeting atmosphere. And, and he, he is, there's one thing about making a campus visit during the off season and you get to tour the facility, you get to put on a uniform, you get to go to the locker room, you get to do a photo shoot, but to be on campus actually during a, a time of practices like spring ball and to go in and, and peek in on those quarterback meetings and be a part of that room and to see, you know, look, they're, they're saying it's a quarterback battle. To see what goes on when it's undecided who the quarterback is. This is a huge advantage for Oklahoma. And and I, I you can't, if you're an Oklahoma fan, and you know that LSU is lurking on this kid, but you know you've got him in Norman for three three days, you'll take that every time. Mm-hmm. You give you give Ed Orgeron three days with the quarterback. You give Lincoln Riley three days with the quarterback. You pick the quarterback. I don't care who it is, but you give both of those coaches three days. The advantage, hundred percent of the time, is going to be on Lincoln Riley. And and so I'll just shake my head and nod here with yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, so that's there's there's been some eyeballs. Oklahoma with a big weekend last weekend. Uh, there's been some eyeball emojis that have come out from Lincoln Riley, but yet we've not been able to put names. One of those may be a defensive back who decommitted from Alabama. He was on campus in Norman, had a great visit, said he'll be back to Norman. Uh, I don't think he said it with an Arnold Schwarzenegger voice as in I'll be back. But he definitely said that there's a whole generation. And if of, he didn't, Matt, missed opportunity. No, I'm just saying there's a whole gen, <laughs> there's a whole generation of people that might be listening to this podcast that have no idea what I'm talking about right there. Um, and that's just sad. Um, can I can – I, can I sideload a comment? Please do. There, because I don't ever remember the first Terminator. I do remember the second one very vividly. Right. The first well, one, I'm oblivious to. <laughs> Latrell McCutcheon is the is the the guy we're talking about. Was had been recruited to uh, had been committed to Alabama since November. He's on campus in Norman over the weekend. He decommits right after his weekend visit. He could be one of the eyeballs, but that's just speculation. The truth is no one's really going to know for sure until these guys go out and announce it themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it, it's it, it picking up. We talked about last week after this dead period ends, things are going to be on the uptick. And that's absolutely where they are right now. And um, as news breaks, you can find it uh, at heartland-sports.com. We do our best to stay on top of that as we can. Closing this out, talking some Oklahoma City Thunder. For the and, and here's the thing, man. I, I gotta say it like I gotta I gotta preface this because it makes me sound like I'm a hater. And you don't have to be a hater to be right. That's all I'm saying. Oklahoma City 38 and 24 on the season. They're suddenly they're closer to the seventh seed than they are the fifth seed. Now you and I I think this is three weeks now we've been having this conversation uh, since since you made the 
infamous, they're becoming a team that nobody wants to play in the playoffs. They beat up on Detroit, 114-107. to They've got the Knicks coming up. That should be another win. But man, look, they they played they played they played the the Bucks best record in the NBA blowout loss. They played well the, when you're that tall, you don't really need talent. They they played according to James Harden. James, that's just dumb. Uh, they played the Clippers, <laughs> third seed in the West blowout mm-hmm. loss. So you've seen them now against some of the top tier talent that the NBA has to offer. Yeah. You still think no one wants to play them in the playoffs? No. You don't think that? No, and here here's the reason why is I thought Oklahoma City would continue this upward trajectory that no one expected them to be on that we saw before the All-Star break. These conversations started because Oklahoma City had hit their win total, their predicted win total for the year before the All-Star break started. All of a sudden, what we're seeing out of this team is they're beating I, I feel like, let me back up, there's a baseline for an expectation now. And the teams that Oklahoma City is viewed as better as, they continue to beat. But the teams that I thought they could compete with, because they're such an unorthodox group of players without a true superstar, and no slight to Chris Paul in this situation, but he is a veteran in the league. He's a facilitator. He's not this guy who's going to go and, and drop 50 points. On any given night. So there's not this bona fide superstar to carry the scoring load for this team. And I thought because of that unorthodox nature of the way that the NBA is built currently versus what Oklahoma City is, they would be able to challenge. They would be able to aggravate. They would be able to do things that other teams simply weren't willing to or couldn't do. Because they weren't built mm-hmm. to do, if that makes sense. No, yeah. And so it's because of those reasons I thought Oklahoma City would be able to challenge someone like the Clippers or someone like, and they're not going to ever play an Eastern Conference team in the playoffs. They're they're not that caliber of a team unless they decide to reseed them for some way, shape, or form and just do a cross blend. Anywho, um. Milwaukee, I, 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 I just don't see them competing like I thought they could after the All Star break. And and that's the thing is that the, uh, what I all that I was saying is I felt like Oklahoma City had hit their ceiling. Mm-hmm. And you got these top four seeds, Clippers are the Lakers, the Clippers, the Nuggets, and and then the Rockets. And a big game, by the way, we're recording this a big game between the Clippers and the Rockets coming up. But um. Those those four, they're going to be able to go to a different, kick it to a higher gear. And you're starting to see that happen as they begin to make their final playoff push where those rotations shorten a little bit. And you see players kind of take it to another level. And I don't think Oklahoma City has that level. That's all I was saying. And the thing about it is, and all of this, it's been a great season for the Thunder. I, I think I don't think it's virtually impossible that they miss the playoffs, but it's pretty dang close to being virtually impossible that they miss the playoffs. And this is a team that back in July, when everything went down, the talk was rebuild. It's a rebuilding year that we're going to try to be a lottery team. And they they did so much better than that. 
that they're going to finish somewhere probably between the sixth and the eighth seed is not a disappointment at all. Right. Based off of, again, the projections when you go back to July. We learned that Billy Donovan can coach. We learned that Chris Paul still has some miles left in him. We learned that SGA is a guy you want to build a team around. We learned that Steven Adams can be a dominant guy in this league. We learned a lot about this team that you, if you're a Thunder fan, man, you got to be excited. You got to be pumped. But they're not there to that level that a lot of people thought they were three weeks ago coming out of the All-Star break. That's, and, that's it. And they're going to need – Oklahoma City doesn't need more draft picks. If I'm being yeah. honest, I, I don't think they need more draft picks via the lottery. They've got a slew of options. The question really becomes – do you offload those because this is not a very deep draft? Or do you look at it and say, yeah, there's plenty of options, so we're going to load up and, and take where we can? That's the only question well, Oklahoma City and, needs to be asking. And the Thunder guys, who do a great job uh, on Twitter, at the Thunder guys, a great job at covering this team. Last time I was on their podcast with them, what I said was just this. Um, there's not a player out there that if he's on the market, Oklahoma City doesn't have assets to make a push for. And there's not a player out there that in the draft that Oklahoma City doesn't have assets. There's not a Zion Williamson in this coming draft, in my right. opinion. But if there were, there's not a player out there that Oklahoma City doesn't have the assets to at least make a push for. Not saying they would get him, but they've got assets for days when you talk about these draft picks. Hey, that's going to wrap it up for us. He's Rich. I'm Matt. Catch us on Twitter at Sports Heartland. Every day we got content on the website at uh, heartland-sports.com. Thanks very much for being a part of the show. Uh, we'd love to hear back from you. Hit us up on Twitter or drop a comment on the website. Have a great weekend, everybody. Boomer Sooner. <laughs>